This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Super Bowl 53 may have been the lowest scoring Super Bowl ever, but we're going to spend some time looking at how well or not the ads on TV during the broadcast did. Many people are now tuning in for those commercials as well as the game for game itself. Companies spending over $5 million per 30-second spot this year because that they knew viewers would do just that. The commercials are obviously under pressure to be creative using big stars, humor, and the unexpected as they try to connect with the consumer on a global stage and, to a degree, set off their 2019 campaigns on a high note. And as in the past, there were some great TV spots and some that missed the mark. Joining us to discuss the best and the worst, Wharton Marketing Professor Americus Reed and Associate Professor Patty Williams. Great to see you both. Thanks for coming in. It's great to be here. Nice to be here. I guess let's start this with kind of an overall view. And I saw this on my friend's Facebook accounts last night and this morning, it just didn't feel like it was it was a great year for Super Bowl commercials. Patty? I think that's right. I mean, I'm not sure it's a great year for the Super Bowl altogether. That's true, yes. Um, yeah. You know, I think there were a lot of good ads. I'm just not sure they were very good Super Bowl ads. Okay. Um, you know, many of the ads themselves were competent. They did what they needed to do, but they didn't really fit with the sort of stupendousness of the moment, potentially, right? They kind of played it safe, low-key. Yeah, I agree with that. It's interesting. I was doing the thought exercise in my head, Dan. It's like, what would happen if you showed these ads and people weren't looking at them as Super Bowl ads? Right. I think the ratings would be different. They would be higher. They would be seen as more quality and, and things of that nature. I think what has happened now is that the bar is just so high and it's just so difficult year after year to top what was really great the year before. And so this word that uh, Patty used, stupendous, it's just hard to reach that level. What do you think then makes a stupendous Super Bowl ad, Patty? Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, very often, um, humor. Um, and the ads were a little heavier on humor this year than they might have been last year. But the humor didn't hit, right? Yeah. Um, and what I noticed while I was watching a lot of the ads were a little bit funny while the ad was going on. And then as soon as you saw what the ad was for and the product ID came along, that humor unwrapped rather than you know being more tightly wound and causing a big, big explosion. Marcus? Yeah, I, ju I just didn't see a lot of creativity this year. I think I was kind of going back to, to last year's ads and and uh, the fact that Tide was given a lot of credit because Tide did something that was kind of incredible yep. in the idea of like parroting all the ads, which yep. basically right. co-opted any ad that came on. You're thinking, is this a Tide ad? So you, they got you thinking about Tide the entire time, which is kind of an interesting kind of cognitive trick. And I think this year it just really just wasn't much going on that was, you know, jump out at you. Well, one of the words that I hear used and I, you've used and I think Patty has as well is edginess. And I didn't see a ton of edginess out there with those ads this year. Yeah, I, I didn't either. I just felt like, but but then again, you know, we have to like put everything into some kind of, you know, um, context, right? So right. it's like, I think the entire nation right now has a higher threshold for, for edginess. Like, you know, what, yeah. what's weird and like out of bounds and crazy well, is yeah. just really different right now. So maybe that also plays a bit into okay. it. I'd also say even on the dimension of like feel-good ads, they weren't that emotional, even on the feel-good dimension, right? So let's yeah. take away from edginess, even the feel-goodness wasn't very ramped up. And in fact, if you look at it, I think the ads that have scored the best on like the USA Today ad meter were ads for the NFL, you know, reminding yeah. people how great the game was. And so yeah. people recognized and, you know. Well, I'll start with there with there, with the NFL, because obviously this is their show. Uh, they have basically got a, with the pregame show, basically like about a seven hour commercial going on. <laughs> but, but the NFL did a spot to promote the 100th year 
of professional football, which I thought actually was a really good spot. But I found it also interesting because of all the issues that the NFL has been swirled around with uh, with uh, with women and and obviously the concern uh, of athletes, some athletes, uh, you know, showing their physical presence toward women. That they had a female referee mm-hmm. in the in the spot, and the end of the spot basically was a woman saying to Richard Sherman, who plays with the San Francisco 49ers, "Here, you want the ball? Come get it from me." Which I thought, you know, th- that maybe they are starting to finally get it. Yeah, I think they're at least starting to try to speak to those issues a little bit, right? And I, I do think it was a really good spot. Everybody's favorite players were there. Yeah. Um, yep. They were having fun. They were enjoying each other. Um, you know, there was some toughness that the NFL is known for, but you got to see a little bit of their cheekiness and their personality. Richard Sherman was toned down a little bit, right? Yeah. He wasn't too aggressive. Right. So I really think they really, um, in an attempt to try to both speak to this 100-year anniversary and to revitalize and maybe modernize images of the NFL, they did a good job. But there's also the element of the fact that they were taking players from different generations oh, yes. and bringing them in. And you had Franco Harris yep. and Saquon Barkley, yep. you know, obviously two great different generations of running back in the National Football League. Totally. I think I think that was a nice play because it's like, we're going to put everybody in there and this is going to be the menu, basically, of potential you know fave athletes, whether it be Deion Sanders or, or Franco or whatever. And that can reach a lot of different people. People. I think it's very interesting as well because the NFL is an extremely powerful brand. And so, you know, it's kind of under fire a little bit now sure. in terms of, you know, how it's being perceived and, and all of these things with Kaepernick, et cetera. But I think, you know, that was a kind of good move forward to try to, like, really kind of restore some of that. Get people to remember that, hey, this is a great thing and you actually have loved this thing in the past. We invite you to call in and give us your best or worst of the Super Bowl ads. 844 Wharton is the number to give us a call. 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter and we'll bring it up on the show at Biz Radio, B-I-Z Radio 132. Or my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney, L-O-N-E-Y 21. I wanted to touch on Bud Light for a second because Bud Light has obviously been using this campaign the last couple of years, the Dilly Dilly campaign, which here in Philadelphia ended up being Philly Philly when the (laughs) Eagles won the Super Bowl last year. But they did something interesting is that they basically co-promoted with Game of Thrones, which I guess is going into its last season, Mm -hmm. with a very unique ad at the end where you basically had the Bud Light Knight getting his head crushed in the ad and and a lot of the people that were at this joust getting burned up by a by a, by a dragon yeah, I'm not quite sure what to make of that one. You know, I think it was, as we were watching it, we were like, was that a Bud Light ad or was that a Game of Thrones oh, ad? So who was actually responsible for the joke? Yeah. You know, was it a Tide sort of thing where they were co-opting mm. Bud Light and it was Game of Thrones or mm. not? That's interesting. A little bit hard to tell. Um, you know, I mean, it, if nothing else, it may prompt people to process and pay more attention right. than they might have otherwise. Yeah. Just another Bud Light night ad, you know, what's the what's mm. the big deal here? But is, it, but is it a little bit overdone, too? I mean, having too much for the the consumer to, to really take in at times. It, it, well, I thought it was a lot to pack into that 30-second ad, um, if it was 30 seconds even, I'm not entirely sure, right? right? But it was a lot to process, and it sort of left me going, what was that by the right. time the next ad came along? Marcus. I think that's actually interesting. I mean, we're talking about uh, $10 million a minute here, so yeah. you know, there's a lot at stake. And uh, I think the idea that if we can make it a little bit weird and have you st- pause, right, and start to think a little bit, of, okay, well, kind of Patty's point, what, what what was that I just saw? Like, that's actually a win yeah. <laughs> for the for the brand. One of the ones, actually, that, that kind of was a little edgy uh, was one for Dietz and Watson. Mm-hmm. 
And, and they are, I guess, selling this Dietz Nuts product, yes. which are kind of like meat nuts that they are showing on. Mm-hmm. Craig Robinson, yep. who, actor, uh, was kind of the lead in the commercial. Here's a little clip from it. Dietz Nuts. What are those? These? Dietz Nuts. Dietz and Watson. Dietz Nuts. Those are nuts. Dietz Nuts aren't nut nuts. Dietz Nuts are meat nuts. Those are meat nuts. Meat nuts. They're Dietz Nuts. Can I get one of those? Go ahead. Grab a handful of Dietz Nuts. Uh, get a good grip in there. Okay. <laughs> uh, obviously, oh, we're wow. ta- there. There is a little bit of edginess when you're talking oh, about goodness, yes. Dietz nuts, and yeah. and so that I think is something that the consumer can can relate to at times. Yeah, it's a play on the kind of urban uh, slang, Dietz nuts, you yeah. know. And uh, what I thought was particularly interesting is it has a lot of edgy innuendo in it. What's interesting about this is that I don't know if folks were aware of this, but the the term Dietz nuts was said eleven times. Uh, in that uh, commercial, and what that what they're literally trying to do is they're trying to get you to rehearse that in your mind. Deets yeah. nuts, deets nuts, deets nuts, over and over again, so that it's a little bit sticky later on. You know, when you walk away from it and you're talking to someone about how kind of boy that was kind of on the edge and it was a little bit funny, a little bit you know, a little bit you know, kind of pushing the limits. They're also kind of training you with these mnemonics to be able to kind of get in your memory yeah. and, and create that rehearsal that will allow you to bring it to mind later on. Patty. Yeah, I totally agree. They're also playing a little bit of the, you know, who's on first, right? That sort of wordplay sure. stuff yeah. that's going on, very familiar to people, the sort of uh, interaction that they're having. And I think it's not entirely clear what they are in the end. But mm-hmm. if I can remember the name, I can then go figure out what they are. Well, one of the other ones that, that did that was uh, Michael Buble. Mm-hmm. He was in a spot for Bubbly, <laughs> which, again, play, you know, that wordplay using his name mm-hmm. and the product that was trying to be sold. Ooh, Blackberry Buble, my favorite. You mean Bubbly. No, I mean Buble. You're Michael Buble. That's a bubble. She's right, Michael Buble. It's pronounced Buble. I know, thanks. So, I mean, again, it's exactly what you were talking about a second ago. It's the who's on first mentality, but it works because of the person, uh, the star that you have in the spot. Yeah, absolutely. Whose name nobody knows how to pronounce, right? Exactly. They're not quite sure what it's like. And I'll note that bubbly isn't spelled the way bubbly is typically spelled. Correct, so right. people may be a little confused about how to spell mm. it, too. And they're really, you know, fighting against the LaCroix phenomenon, yeah, right? right? And yeah, so right. really pushing the fact that you're going to remember the name afterwards. And, and I think also that uh, Anheuser-Busch was, was doing that as well. They had a spot for Bon and Viv uh, seltzer water, mm-hmm. which, again, this is a, a big market area for a lot of these drink companies right now. Yeah, absolutely the case. In fact, I have some MBA students in my class right now who are trying to develop a similar product. So oh, wow. Lots of momentum there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is huge right now. I mean, that whole category of, you know, spiked, you know, alcoholic uh, yeah. seltzer types of beverages, I think, are huge right now. So it's, it's a challenge to create some differentiation and try to stand out from the crowd. What did you both think about the Amazon commercial with Harrison Ford, with the dog, with for the Alexa, uh, and basically having an Alexa collar around a dog so that the dog could order the dog food whenever it wanted to. And Harrison Ford, I think, played it pretty well in this commercial. Yeah, I actually like the ad. So I thought the whole... um there's this dystopian stuff going on in a lot of those Super Bowl ads, right? Where the you know the robots stealing jobs, yeah. and you know the tech mm-hmm. is haunting and scary. And Amazon kind of stepped into that a little bit, but with a humorous way, right? You know, like sometimes we can push it too far. Um, but here's a funny example of that. I thought Harrison Ford was great. The dog was great. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it paid off really nicely. Uh, I think at the end. 
Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that this is kind of a little bit of strategy as well with respect to Bezos, because as he, you know, continues his uh, journey to world domination, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. people are like, you know, I'm a little bit nervous about Alexa being in all of my affairs and sort of being able to connect all these dots. So this is a kind of way to like, you know, calm people down, uh, use a little bit of humor to make them feel a little bit better, a little bit more comfortable about, you know, using these kinds of devices. And I thought, you know, kind of using the stars in the way that they did. Uh, Force Whitaker, I think, was in that yeah. commercial as well, yeah, yeah. Uh, trying to use the... Uh, the talking toothbrush, I think. Uh, and yes. so, that, you know, so you, it's no, really right. funny. But I think kind of, you know, m- making fun of yourself and like, but also, you know, soothing perhaps consumers' concerns about a lot of these privacy issues is probably a smart thing. I, to do. I'm guessing there's something uh, of the element uh, of seeing these stars also kind of hmm. be self deprecating as well. That 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 plays well for these particular spots because you don't normally see them in these types of situations. Yeah, I think that's right. It just had this air of humility about it, which mm. is not something that Amazon is well known for, right? So I right. think it played really well. Look, we don't do everything right. We make mistakes. Mm. We overstep our bounds. Isn't it funny? Yeah, we're all sort of charming and you know getting along here. One I wanted to bring up that I haven't heard a lot talked about today, the day after, mm-hmm. was T-Mobile, mm. and they did a couple of commercials where. It was basically text messaging between mm-hmm. a couple of different people, and, and I thought that was I thought that was pretty well done. One was between a, a dad and his daughter about a, a, a chicken parm recipe. You know, I thought that it kind of I, I kind of felt pretty good about it. What yeah, about you guys. Yeah, I think it's you know the, the one of the hallmarks of uh, of T Mobile is well, I don't know if you follow their CEO is pretty John Laguerre is yeah, very interesting fellow. savvy yeah very very savvy character out there he's yep. working on his own brand and I think that he, he calls it kind of the magenta it's kind of like it is this kind of we're different uh, but we are relatable as well and I think that kind of captured kind of a nice aspect in terms of that commercial Patty yeah I totally agree I mean, you know I think they're trying really hard to be the uncarrier mm-hmm. right and to basically say that they alleviate all the pain points that other carriers impose upon their customers. Yeah. So to the extent that they were saying something about text fees, you know, and, and usage and people who uh, end up causing you um, to have to pay extra fees because they abuse texting in some way, your dad or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're able to speak to that effectively. What was your reaction to Stella? Stella Artois? <laughs> because Stella Artois is okay. getting a lot of talk today. Yes, it uh, is. Having the Carrie Bradshaw yeah, personality in there. That's right. Also having the most interesting man in the world making a a cameo for another beer company since he basically got kicked off for for Dos Equis or sent to another planet mm-hmm. uh, in that last commercial. What did you think of that one? Uh, you know, I thought it was nicely incongruous, right? To right, have, yeah. you know, Sex in right. the City and the Dude all in one place right, enjoying yeah. the same beer at some level, right? It's interesting to me because I think Stella in the U.S. tries to position itself as pretty premium, yeah. pretty status-oriented. And mm-hmm. here you have kind of two levels of that kind of status uh, phenomenon addressing each other and both consuming the beer. Yeah. St- Stella our toast. I yeah, think, yeah, I think that's how it was referred to. I think that. I mean, I'm, I'm a huge. It was interesting. I think to Patty's point is absolutely correct here. It was, it was. I had this kind of kind of uh, dissonance reaction to it in terms of you know here's here's a Sex in the City sort of thing, and I'm also kind of a huge Big Lebowski fan. I've seen it a hundred times. Every time I watch it, it's just a fantastic movie. I see something different that I hadn't seen the previous time, uh, and sort of watching those two characters, very different characters, completely different points of view, kind of converge Verging on, well, this is a brand that we like, I think really had that kind of component of like making me think a little bit, but also kind of like drawing me in as well. well it, it, one spot I wanted to bring up as well was the Washington Post, mm. which 
was that's a, huge. was amazing because uh, the story behind this, from what I understand, was this was created about a week ago. Oh, it it, it you know and very quickly done because I guess they were going to do one for Blue Horizon, mm. which is another one of the Jeff Bezos companies, but they decided to make this ad and they put this together in a in a week. And for those people that haven't heard it uh, or seen it in the Super Bowl, here's the audio from uh, from that commercial. When we go off to war. When we exercise our rights, when we soar to our greatest heights, when we mourn and pray, when our neighbors are at risk, when our nation is threatened, there's someone to gather the facts, to bring you the story, no matter the cost. Because knowing empowers us. Knowing helps us decide. Knowing keeps us free. So there's the gist of that. And, and part of this in the visual side of it is yeah. honoring the journalists that have uh, been killed in the yeah. line of duty. Jamal Khashoggi is, yes. is one of them. So right. your yeah. reaction to that? This super powerful. I, you know, as I sat and watched this, I got a little bit emotional. But I kind of wondered to myself, you know, what would a Trump supporter uh, how would they react to this kind of messaging? It's sort of like this idea of like, you know, the truth is sacred and we need to pursue it. So I had a huge, you know, reaction, positive reaction to it. Very powerful. Only thing that perhaps would have changed was I might have had Morgan Friedman do the, the voiceover, although Tom Hanks was fantastic. But as the well. interesting thing about the spot was <laughs> speaking about, you know, whether you're a Trump supporter or not. They obviously were very aware of the fact that they put Brett Baer mm-hmm. from Fox News yes, in I the spot, that. and they also put Anderson Cooper from CNN. So it wasn't like they were directly going Correct. after the president. That's they right. were just making a statement about how important journalism is. Yeah. I think that's right. And you know, when you put it on the Super Bowl, you know there are going to be a lot of people with very diverse viewpoints watching that, sure. that yeah. piece. So it's really meant, I think, for all Americans and quite deliberately highlighting those other journalists. And yeah. I would bet there was probably a perception going into the spot, yeah. if I, you were somebody that was President yep. Trump, that, oh, my God, here comes a spot for the Washington Post, yet you see Brett Baer in there, yes, yes. and that maybe changes the opinion uh, of a lot of people. Deliberately. And one of the interesting things, so I'll go back to America saying you wished it was Morgan Freeman. So Tom Hanks was the narrator. Yep. Um, there's a, a brand purpose kind of study that looks at the value of brands from a purpose perspective, and right. they did it with people as well. And Tom Hanks is in the top five um, sure. across yeah. sort of Republicans and Democrats. Oh, He's someone that people perceive as having social value and hmm. really speaking and you know wow. connecting with people's values. So he, I think he was a great choice yeah. um, and able to kind of bridge that divide potentially. And, and about a $10 million overall cost that they did the five million of buying it and i guess the the cost of putting the spot together which which is which is you know that's a lot of money to drop in about a week in about a week's time that's a ton of money i love this point that you guys are making about the bear uh, putting bear in there to get credibility in other words to to sort of say this is a kind of a bipartisan message because they could have put someone like shep smith in there or someone who's a little perhaps more critical yeah uh so i thought that was a really really good point and maybe even tom tom hanks did this for free probably although probably (laughs) hard to know my guess is though they probably spent less than the average because because Amazon bought multiple, you know, Jeff Bezos and his companies sure. bought multiple spots, and yeah. so each of those probably cost a little less than five million. Well, I, I, and I wonder what the process was that that the Washington Post had to go through to be able to use that footage, mm. even oh, that little yeah. clip of Brett Baer in that particular spot. That that had to be, you know, a, an interesting negotiation that went on for the Washington Post to be able to get the access to use that Brett Baer piece of video. Yeah, absolutely the case. I'm sure all sorts of approvals. And if it was done pretty quickly in a week, um, you know, that's pretty remarkable. Similar yeah. sort of thing with the Burger King ad and Andy Warhol, right? They had mm. to get the Andy sure. Warhol Foundation to agree. That mm. was the other one that, that yeah. kind of caught me off guard. And, and I guess this had been a spot 
that had had been done a, a while ago. Uh, I think it was in a documentary, and he actually did this. Um, and so my understanding is that somebody surfaced the footage from this documentary where Andy Warhol was actually eating a Whopper um, and brought it to the Burger King team, and they were like, how can we not use this? This yeah. is amazing. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that ends up being a, a, a good piece of history to be able to, to, to mix into the formula. Totally, and I think what it really nicely does is kind of creates, you know, the because a lot of these sort of ads that involve celebrity sponsors are often criticized for authenticity. Uh, so if you're able to kind of do something that, you know, is genuine in that sense, like here's something that this particular icon actually liked and was participating yeah. in, and we're just going to happen to, you know, resurface this and kind of use it as a brand message, I think is interesting. Patty, you mentioned before where Stella Artois was concerned about the, the perception of that brand maybe being, uh, you know, a more on the premium side where beers are concerned. I got now thinking about it, the same kind of feeling from Mercedes-Benz with the one spot that they did, where they also included the animation of the Looney Tunes characters in there, which I, I guess is similar in mindset to, to what Stella Artois was trying to do, correct? Yeah, I mean, it certainly seems that way. They were making more, making it a little more approachable, which I think is a very odd thing for Mercedes to be doing, right? right. I mean, mm -hmm. they're usually really premium, really luxury, and yep. yeah. trying to make themselves exclusive, even among their sort of less expensive you know, products in the product line. I, it was an interesting ad. I'm not quite sure I get what their objectives were. Yeah. It, was, it was weird to me, I mean, but although it did sort of you know communicate to me that maybe I can play in this game. <laughs> One of the other ones I heard talked about this morning was for Expensify mm -hmm. and the yeah. drinking of the curdled milk. Yeah, which uh, I think probably that, that's, probably that's, got, okay. Yeah. Patty, Patty's yeah. moving her head back and yeah, forth yeah, like yeah. what? Really strange all the yeah. way around, right? I mean, but again, if it's what you're trying to do is capture attention mm -hmm. and make sure that something's just weird enough that it makes people say, "Wait, yeah. I need to know what this is." Yeah, there's a win there. Yeah, and right. it's it's interesting too because Patty is a, is an expert on emotions. She can talk about you know the emotion of disgust. But I gotta tell you, man, when I saw that, I was just like, "This is really <laughs> off. <laughs> this is like chunky, over the top, man." Nothing like chunky <laughs> and they were milk. chewing, man. They were chewing. Yeah, <laughs> as yeah. they were drinking, which was just like, okay, I will. I that's burning into my memory now. We are talking with uh, America's Reed and Patty Williams from here at the Wharton School. We're talking about the Super Bowl commercials uh, from uh, from uh, Super Bowl 53. Uh, I, I find it interesting then when you look at these ads and over on, I think we all agree that maybe it wasn't the, the best, but how much play do you get just in general of having a, a spot? You spend the $5 million. Yeah. You obviously spent more on top of it. How much play do you expect to get for the next few weeks from having a spot in the Super Bowl. Well, I think it's interesting. I think one of the things that is is hopeful now in the new model is that they release the ads ahead of time and they get, True, yeah. get people to try to start talking about them, start generating those conversations. Then you experience them during the Super Bowl and then you try to have some kind of time after that. I think what's really interesting about the ads themselves is that, you know, even though it's a lot of money to, to do one of these ads, I think they are, sometimes brands just do it because they want to signal to their audience that they're with it. So right. I, it was interesting, for example, that Coke decided not to, you know, be yeah. a part of the actual uh, ads during the game. And it was interesting, kind of Pepsi's response was was really, really kind of guerrilla marketing in Atlanta, yeah. putting up signs all over the place saying, hey, well, we'll do it if you can't, you know, we'll sort of invade your backyard and, and be in the party. And, and for people that don't know, Coke is based in Atlanta. That's so there was, the, there was the irony in that one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think any brand that's going into the Super Bowl is thinking a lot about how to give these ads lives 
before and long after the actual game. You can't spend that much money and not need some earned media in addition to that kind of paid media, right? They're hoping for social media impressions. They're hoping we're going to have a conversation sure, and you yeah. know, inform our listeners about our opinions, the USA Today ad meter, right? All of that kind of stuff. So I think um, there's a lot of discussion about how much of the ad do you show in advance? Do you tease it? Um, what comes afterwards? Is there a follow-up commercial? And of course, some of this is about also seeding their distribution channels. You can think about that M&M's ad for example. Yeah. They're trying to demonstrate to their retailers that they're creating foot traffic for this new M&M's product. I will say this uh, as a footnote to this. I, I really hope that we get the Bud Bowl back at some point <laughs> or we get the Clydesdales back because I think those yeah, those, those both icons. set of commercials were, were phenomenal. Great seeing you both. Thank you for coming in. Thanks a lot. Thanks. For Thanks. So much. Thanks. Thanks. America Shreed, Patty Williams joining us here with a review of what we saw with the ads in the Super Bowl last night uh, on CBS. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.